Greetings, and welcome to the Tapestry Podcast. My name is Chris Turner. Tapestry is the adoption and foster care ministry of Irving Bible Church in Irving, Texas. As we record this episode on Friday, April 15th, we do so with sadness and joy. Sadness because earlier this week, child development and advocacy lost a champion as Dr. Karen Purvis lost her battle with cancer. Joy because Dr. Purvis now rests in the arms of the God she loved and served with her whole heart. Joining me today to remember Dr. Purvis is the Executive Director of Tapestry, Ryan North. Hi, Ryan. Hey, Chris. How are you today? I'm good. You? I'm all right. Um, sorry that we have to talk about uh, this stuff today and not about your trip to Rwanda, which we will get to sometime soon. So kind of weird to think about a world without Karen Purvis in it. It, it really is, since she was such an instrumental part of kind of why we're doing this right now. Yeah. Yeah, so you know, I heard, heard from a lot of people, just moms and dads, and um, who've kind of reached out and, and kind of shared how they were feeling. And yeah, just really weird. Some, some of my favorite things, though, um, this week is I think that, you know, she, she wouldn't want us to sit here and talk about the loss of mm. her, but rather want to celebrate uh, her work and certainly be uh, glad for her that um, she got to meet Jesus face to face. Yeah. You know, we all have different coping skills and survival strategies that we that we, that we have. You know, a lot of people, when uh, when they encounter bad news, will just try to keep themselves busy. Mm-hmm. Well, it appears though, as though a lot of people, when they heard of Dr. Purvis's passing, um, decided to make some like memes and post some comments about how her first conversation with the Lord went. <laughs> you know, it's nice to meet you, cowboy. <laughs> Stuff like that. So those were kind of fun the other day. You have one of my favorite. Dr. Purvis stories from when you interacted with her at a conference. You sat on the front row. Uh, interacted <laughs> is uh, is generous. Um, yeah, so maybe four years ago, Power to Connect Conference uh, was here, and and Kayla was pregnant at the time. And so we had arrived, and she went to the coffee shop here at the church to get something to eat to get like a muffin or something. And so I said, well, I'm going to go in and find us some seats. And so uh, for those of you not familiar with Irving Bible Church, the front row is where you want to sit because I'm, I'm a very, I'm six foot five. And so I want to sit in the front row because this room, there's leg room, you know, we wouldn't be in the same room the whole day. So I walked in and I saw Michael and Amy Monroe and I went over to them and said, hi. And I said, Hey, if you guys see Kayla, let her know um, that I'm sitting on the front row. Well, I had gone all the way to the other side of, of the worship center to sit. So it's, it's, it's a fair distance. Um, and I think, I think the room holds like tw- has 2,200 seats in it. Something so, like that. Yeah, yeah. So it's a fair distance. So, uh, I was over there and, uh, Kayla comes in and so she sees Michael and Amy and says hi to them. And, and, and so they're trying to point sort of in the general direction of where I am. And the stage is large and it's kind of got a little bit of a curve to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not, no longer paying attention, which is mistake number one. Mistake <laughs> number two is that I raised my hand and I'm kind of waving over to where Kayla is, who's got to be. I don't know, a hundred yards away, sort of corner to corner. Maybe not quite that far, but it, it is a fair yeah, distance. It's a fair yeah. distance, man. I mean, and so maybe at least 50 yards, right? Yeah. And so I'm waving and I'm kind of waving. And all of a sudden I hear this sweet little voice say, yes, do you need something? <laughs> and uh, she had gone from the center stage over to stage right across from where we were sitting. And the guy sitting next to me, my, my friend Scott, he just kind of hit me. And I looked up and she was standing with her hands on her knees. <laughs> and uh, I said, uh, no, ma'am. <laughs> and um, she said, okay, well, I was just wondering. And, 
and so afterwards, I apologized to her, and she said, "Oh, I don't think anything of it." And she was very sweet. She said, "Oh, it's so nice to see you again." And she was very sweet, and um, we we're going to talk about her gifts. Yes, her, she could um, make the tiniest little person feel like a lion inside. Mm. And at the same time, make a giant of a man feel like the tiniest little person. And she didn't mean to. She was just like, do you need something? And so her and I got to laugh about that um, together some years later. And uh, she was nice enough to, to say that she remembered the interaction. But I'm pretty sure she was just doing that to preserve my, um, my self-esteem. <laughs> she was a very gifted storyteller. That's the thing I remember most about her. Because I never, I never got to talk with her one-on-one, but I got to hear her speak. And uh, that will always stay with me is how gifted of a storyteller she is, uh, able to hold your attention with, you know, her her tiny little figure and her somewhat tiny little voice just there on stage. Just uh, her calming influence just sucks you into her stories. She spoke at our conference here in October. And so we were just backstage uh, hanging out with her before she spoke. And I just really sort of felt compelled to share this with her. And she kind of looked at me. And, and smiled and, and, and just kind of looked at me. And <laughs> I said, you know, I, I, I just kind of want to let you know that the, whenever I listen to you, whether that be um, like this or in a, a teaching setting or one of the videos, I'm overcome with this feeling that I just want to sit in your lap <laughs> and, have you, and, and have you tell me that everything's going to be okay. Yep. I mean, she was that much of a calming influence mm-hmm. in people's lives. She really did have that kind of influence, though, because it just just the sound of her voice, and, mm-hmm. and there's just something about you know, just this sort of little phrases and cowboy mm-hmm. and and stuff like that that were just really so so calming in people's lives, and and then just to think about um, the last six or seven years, how uh, her work at TCU and and her colleagues there, and David Cross, and a lot of those people. Um, how their work has just exploded mm. and now has really gone worldwide. When when Kayla got home with the kids on Tuesday, uh, I said, I, I got to tell you something. And I said, hey, you just found out Dr. Purvis passed. And so uh, she just started sobbing. And it was just it was just a moment of profound sadness because watching Kayla cry, I realized that, that my children, um, my, t- my two oldest remember her. The, the, the others don't. Mm. I don't think... Th- the, the four youngest ever actually met her, but uh, the two oldest remember her, and um, to me that that's kind of a sweet thing. But it's kind of sad thinking that you know my children are parents in a certain way because of this woman's work, right? And they will never know that, and and they will, as a result, probably parent this way because of her life. My grandkids one day will be parented because of her life, and they will have no idea who she was, and mm. so that their lives would be different um, because she had been alive. And so I think, you know, that made me a little sad, but it made me happy for her because I think most of us have this sort of idea that we want to change the world, and there's no doubt that she did. Yes. And so um, consider it a great privilege of my life to um, have encountered her work because I know that my house would not be as peaceful as it is. Mm-hmm. I know that my children would not feel as safe as they do, mm-hmm. um, all because she cared. Yeah, it's quite the legacy that she's leaving behind. That, yeah. I, And I think it's the kind of legacy that, like you said, our children and our grandchildren may not realize the impact she had on them, but at least we will, and we will carry that you know, in our hearts. Yeah. 
So, you know, talking about her, her legacy, um, the Power to Connect uh, conference was in Nashville last weekend. And so, you know, for the last couple of years, there's been a plan B on the, pres- the presenter lineup if, in case she was unable to travel. Mm. And so um, plan B had to be in effect. And so uh, David Cross, who is the co-author of The Connected Child with Dr. Purvis, he spoke at the event for the first time. And then the people who have been just taught by her and mentored by her, uh, Darren Jones and Amanda Howard, both uh, Mandy Howard's now at Samford down in, in Birmingham, Alabama, and Darren is still at, at TCU. But people who just kind of sat at the feet of Dr. Purvis and just she invested in greatly to see them up there uh, doing their thing and communicating the information. This was really was really special, mm. and I think she would have been really, really proud um, of them watching them up. I know she was very proud of them, but I think she would have just beamed if she was in the room watching mm-hmm. them because these people that she had invested years of her life in and mentored and coached and brought along were up there discussing her work um, and just sharing it quite beautifully. So mm-hmm. it was it was a pretty neat event. Obviously sad that she wasn't there. Uh, sad knowing that she was probably in her final days. Um, the best way to leave a legacy is to multiply yourself, right? Right. I mean, it's the Jesus model. I'm going to invest in the lives of these 12 guys, mm-hmm. and then they're going to go out. And, and so I think that obviously the, the Lord chose to do that in his earthly ministry. And so it's a, such a good model. So she had this team of people around her that she just really poured into. And now they're out there uh, doing this. You know, Empower to Connect exists because of her work. And so to think about the legacy of that, you know, we have like 160 parent trainers in the U.S. and Canada right now. We'll probably have right at 200 by the end of the summer. Mm. Uh, and so to think that all of those people now are being trained in her work and to invest in the lives of families. And so, you know, if half of those people train every year and the class sizes average, you know, somebody between 8 and 12 is generally what they are. So, you know, even if half of those people train every year, there will be a thousand families that will be touched uh, by by her work next year. And and will be coached in these principles and understand why your child's history matters, what you bring to the parenting equation, understand sensory needs, understand what attachment is, and all those kinds of things. I think the genius of her work was twofold. Number one, um, she really had a gift for understanding people. If you mm-hmm. watch any of those videos, um, she kind of, you know, she just locks onto those kids and climbs the tree with them and right. dives in the ditch with them and doesn't miss a beat and goes from, no, that is not okay. Good words. High five. Yes. Just, like, you know, she just up and down with them and just never missed a beat in those interactions. And so her ability to read people, mm-hmm. let me say that better. Her ability to attune to people mm. was really, really, really impressive. Uh, but the other thing, the other thing that she did that I think is really, really great is, you know, here with you know, Empower to Connect was taking a lot of these research concepts and ideas and putting them on the parenting shelf. Right. And so now I don't have to go to be trained in attachment to understand what that is. It's right there in the material. It talks about the different attachment styles, what they are, how they, how they happen, you know, and all kinds of things like that. And so being able to really take the work and putting it on the parenting shelf and then having parents train other parents, I think that's quite a legacy, you know, that it's just being multiplied every year across the United States and Canada now. And, you know, next year we're, we're, we're working with some folks uh, in Guatemala. The, the curriculum's been translated to Spanish. We're working on translating it into Russian. And so it's just, just spreading to just to think that this diminutive little woman from Fort Worth one day decided that she needed to help children. 
And then there's this video uh, which is at, you know, at CAFO a couple of years ago where they interview her and just talking about, you know, kind of how she got where she was. And mm-hmm. you know, she said, I just realized at a very young age I wanted to help kids. And then she was 22 years old and she, you know, had like a, um, a couple of girls who were prostitutes like living in their house. And she's like, yeah, I'm at the wise old age of 22 <laughs> mentoring these girls. But yeah, quite, quite a legacy. Uh, I remember the first time I met her in person. Um, this is way back when in like year one of Empower to Connect. So we took the, uh, Michael called and he said, hey, we've developed this thing with Purvis and we need like, you know, want a class to, to go through the paces. Mm-hmm. And so um, we were with seven other couples in the class. And back then in uh, the last week of the class, she came to class and we had to bring our kids. And then the first hour, she sat on the floor with them with a big tub of bubble gum and a bunch of toys. And literally, they climbed all over her. And she just, you know, give me good words and I'll give you what you want. Mm-hmm. And that was really what that was about for them, the kids to get some practice in that and for us to watch it. And then the second half, uh, we just sat in a room together and kind of formed like a half moon of chairs around her. And she said, hey, let's just, each family, tell me something you're really struggling with. And let's kind of talk that through. Mm. And I remember um, she was about halfway through that, and and I just started crying. And uh, my wife came, like what, tapped me, and she said, "What? What's the matter?" Because <laughs> that's usually reversed, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, I said, "I've never ever been around somebody who had such clarity of purpose, who had no doubt why God put them on the on the planet." Mm. And it was emotionally overwhelming for me mm. to be around somebody like that. To just um, first of all, because I felt like I didn't at the time have much clarity of purpose. Mm-hmm. So there was that working against me. But also just to be around somebody like that, again, maybe four foot 11, 100 pounds, and just had a, a presence that dominated a room right? just with her words. She didn't try to be big, but, but she played big. If he, you Right, know I mean? exactly. Yeah. That's ex- exactly a great description of her. She didn't uh, appear big or try to be big, but yet because of, I think, like you said, her clarity mm-hmm. of purpose and the love that she just exuded, she was big. Yeah. It's like the first time she read, and the master will say, well done, good and faithful servant, mm. enter into your master's rest. Like she read that and circled it and said, I want that. Mm. So um, you guys have been around this stuff for years as well. You want to talk a little bit about how some of her work has made your uh, family what it is today? Because sometimes I think about what our families might be like if we hadn't encountered the stuff. Oh, I know exactly how my family would be like if we hadn't encountered the stuff. And I think one, one way our family would be different is we probably wouldn't have three boys. We'd, we'd still have just two. Yeah. I think that was, that was a, that was an impact for our family is that because of this, this way of parenting and the things that opens up for you as a parent, Mm -hmm. it's hard, but it makes things easier all at the same time. Yeah. Kind of a thing. It's almost as if you it increases your capacity for love and nurturing. Yeah. One of my favorite things she said to the family, because when, when you say, I know exactly what my family would be like if mm. it wasn't for her work, I was thinking yeah, it would be a, it'd be a Garth Brooks song. <laughs> What's that? Mama's in the graveyard, Papa's in the pen. Do you remember that song? Right. Um, I kind of feel like it might be like that. I, I think that. One of the things we tend to overlook, though, is because um, of the peace that, and the hope and the healing that starts to come into the family and the lives of our children. I think sometimes we overlook how that actually strengthens our marriages mm-hmm. because the peaceful home, I'm not saying it's like a, a, you know, a Disney show at our house or not, <laughs> but 
Um, it certainly is a lot better than it used to be. Mm-hmm. I say that we got home from class last night to find out that one of our children had taken uh, their Kindle and uh, um, the entryway at our house is tiled. And so um, held it above his head and just spiked it like he had just scored a touchdown because he was mad about something. Mm. So there is that. But then this morning, my oldest son said, hey, Dad, what what are those three things? Fight, flight, or... I said, fight, flight, or freeze. He goes, yeah, Josh is definitely fight. (laughs) And so my 13-year-old son is now learning these things, and I guess he's figured that his parents um, are going to stick with it, so he's going to figure it out and really trying to understand. Now, like most of us, he's not trying to understand himself in this context. He's trying (laughs) to understand his his siblings in this context, which is okay, because I just really enjoyed him saying, now this fight, flight, and what's that (laughs) third one? Is it freeze? Oh no, that's not that's not him. He's a fighter. <laughs> so yeah, that that's that's fun to know. And um, I think one of the things we have to to be aware of is that unless you change your mind, your actions aren't going to change. Right. Unless you change your actions, your situation's not going to change. And so we can keep running up against the wall of doing things the way we we had to. You know, I've heard this. You know, it's trust based relational intervention. It's connected parenting. It's also I've heard people call it investment parenting and I think you really that's a good good term for it because you really have to make the investment you really have to do the hard work you know there's this phrase that said oh he just autopiloted you know I use Mm -hmm. it a lot oh he's just on autopilot well now I understand that that's not just autopilot that's because uh, of repetition and neurons firing and wiring you know it's like when you go to church on Sunday morning and you don't have a real recollection of the journey between your house and the church because you've done that so many times so I understand that um, autopiloting, our parroting, or going with what we know, or whatever you want to say, is because that's how our brains have been wired through experience. We have to undo that. Mm-hmm. And so there's this um, this amazing thing. Um, she said it last year at the conference. Um, I believe it was to do, you know, create a new synapse. You have to do something like 400 times. Mm. But if you do it playfully, it's like 30 or 40. Oh wow! So. You know, that's a really big insight into how you doing, cowboy, <laughs> and stuff like that. And whoa, Nelly, and all those things that she says uh, on those videos and would say in person because her engagement with the children was always at a playful level uh, first. Now, it would have to get, you know, the, the levels of engagement that you learn about in the curriculum. And she would get to those places with those kids, but she'd always bring them back to that playful place because that's where the learning happens at a much faster rate. Right. So here's here's one of my favorite quotes that I heard for the first time like a year ago. And I don't know if she's been saying it for years, but I it sort of got my attention a year ago. And it was simply this. More children are driven to psychosis by their parents <laughs> than anything else. Yeah, I would have to say that uh, the nightly news tends to bear that out too. Not even the nightly news. I'm just thinking about people who are trying to parent this way, right? We were talking about how um, the last night in class about how we need to not escalate situations. Mm-hmm. We need to de-escalate situations. And one of the guys in class said, hey, I was raised in a real sort of like military type family. We just, you know, there's a command structure. Nobody bucked the command structure. And so when I hear you guys speak, it almost sounds like you're telling parents to excuse, create excuses for their children's behaviors. Mm-hmm. And my response to him was this, and I'm not asking you to create excuses for your children's behaviors. I'm asking you to understand what's driving their behaviors 
and I'm also asking you to take responsibility for the fact that you're not doing anything to address that. So you know if your children don't snack every two hours, their the behavior mm-hmm. atrophies. Well, then give them a kind bar every 120 minutes. Right. It's not rocket science, which is funny because we had somebody tell us um, they went through the training and the lady said, uh, my husband is an actual rocket scientist <laughs> and he thinks this stuff's hard. <laughs> <laughs> well, because it is hard. But not- it's hard because it, try- it requires you to be intentional. Right. But yeah, it, it's, it's not hard, but it's difficult because you have to be intentional because it is easier to sit on the couch and yell at the kids mm-hmm. than it is to get up, go to where they are, address them and bring it about to resolution. Um, there's a video. <clears throat> this is a little boy. His name is John Nathaniel. I think he's five years old, and they shot the video. And this is one of those Hope Connection camps uh, the TCU used to run. Mm-hmm. And it's horse riding time. And so anybody that's ever been to a camp or some uh, communal horse riding, there are a couple of things that you need to be aware of. And one is that you're going to have to wear a bicycle helmet, and because it's a communal bicycle helmet, they're going to put a coffee filter on your head first, right? So uh, he's got a cowboy hat on. He is all decked out for his horse riding. He's got boots. He's got jeans. He's got a button-up shirt. And he's got a cowboy hat. And he wants to ride the horse with the cowboy hat. Mm. And they're trying to explain to him that he can't ride the horse without the helmet because it's not safe. Mm. Uh, and this this young woman, whose name I don't know, who's his camp buddy, she just repeated, John Nathaniel, John Nathaniel, John Nathaniel. So it's the John Nathaniel quote is how people, uh, the John Nathaniel scene, how most people um, remember it. But what's interesting about it is obviously she doesn't have Purvis's giftings, but she, she hangs in there with him the way Purvis does. Right. She, you know, and it takes her longer than it does, than it takes Purvis, but it's, which is actually kind of sweet because... It takes me longer than it takes purpose. Mm-hmm. So to see that there was somebody who was willing to do the hard work, and again, she climbed the trees and dove in the ditches with him, and she didn't did not leave his side emotionally, and you know was stern with him when she had to be, was sweet, playful, and all these things. Um, and eventually, that boy with a smile on his face put that helmet on. And to me, that's uh, of some of the most encouraging clips that I've ever seen because. Here's a person who who did what most of us are not willing to do, and that's hang in there with our kids. And mm-hmm. that's why it's hard, because we want uh, resolution in the form of compliance, and we want it now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was thinking, I actually wrote about this yesterday, how when you're in a restaurant and there's a difficult customer, and you see all the lengths that that server will go through to make sure that the customer, that the interaction ends on a positive note. That's what they want. They want the person leaving the restaurant having a positive feeling about the restaurant, even though it was a difficult experience. So the server, if the server can't uh, resolve it, they'll get the manager involved. And then two tables over, you'll notice a, um, a parent with a child who is being difficult, to use the same verbiage, mm. and they just like, boom. And I think how different, you know, I'm not saying that, that our kids are our customers, but what I am saying is that we would, we most of us go to far greater lengths to make sure that complete strangers leave the interaction, that it is resolved, mm-hmm. and they leave it at a good place, and we don't do that with our children. And that is what her work asked of us, to say to hang in there with our kids and to resolve it, and to leave it at the place where we want it. And one of the one of the things that I love that she said is, it's not over till it's over, but when it's over, it's done. Mm-hmm. And that's hard. That that sounds real catchy and easy, but that is hard mm. because when we work with families, one of the things that we notice in, in families that are really struggling with their kids 
is that the parents almost without fail will remind their children of their shortcomings every time there's a new interaction. Mm-hmm. And she would say that's just wrong. Once this issue is resolved, this issue is in the past. You don't keep bringing it up because that's not helpful for your children. It's not helpful for you in your view of your children. So, you know, there's all the there's all the videos that everybody's seen and there's all the, the scenes in the videos. You know, everybody likes to talk about where she's like snaps her fingers and tells somebody to get a green tea for the kid and oh, to be Karen Purvis with an army. Of, yeah, sure. Who has a dollar to get a soda for the machine? That's right, yes. That, we saw that one on the weekend again. <laughs> Somebody find a dollar and get the school the lemonade. So we remember all of those things, but it was the little, the little nuggets of it's not over till it's over, but when it's over, it's done that really stick with me because that's what I struggle with. I think that's what most parents struggle with is being able to um, let the past be in the past. You know, Frozen had a good theme song. <laughs> Just you got to let it go. You got to let it go. Yep. There are lessons to be learned from the past, but once we've learned those lessons, um, we have to release it because um, the, the past then becomes the shackles that bind us. Mm-hmm. And I think that was one of the lessons of her life was that we have to, um, we have to try to move forward. Sometimes we've got to sit here for a minute to resolve this issue, but once that issue is resolved, we've got to keep heading in a positive direction because that's the only thing that our kids need and, and her ability to communicate that, to make those children feel um, like they were the most special person in the world. And she did that to everybody, mm-hmm. you know, just she would have made, she could have run for public office, I think, because she had that, that gift of making people feel like they were just the most important person in the world every time they interacted with her, which really is a gift that most of us don't have. And so that was just always fun to kind of think about but yeah, I mean, why we could carry on for hours here just talking about you know, some of the quotes about kids are harmed in relationship and they have to heal in relationship, which is true. Right. Um, which is which is which is actually really a very difficult thing to confront people with. We put that out on on social media a few weeks ago, and I was actually surprised at um, a lot of people who were struggling with that um, because the struggle with that is it confronts you with the fact that you. Um, have the responsibility to help your child heal, which is the mm-hmm. hard thing about about parenting kids from hard places. It's a hard thing about people who adopt and who foster is there are these relational wounds that you didn't inflict, but you have taken responsibility to, to be heal. part of yeah. the, be a healer in that process with your child. And um, she confronted us with that truth too, which is one of the more difficult things she said because um, as long as we have somebody to blame, yes, right. that's good. But and part of that is, um, you know, over the years, some of those, uh, you know, in our own experience, some of those negative feelings and experiences of our children um, have become only positive memories of their birth families now. And the negative feelings and experiences have somehow been transferred onto us. Mm-hmm. And so that's another hard reality that we have to deal with. But because we know that we got to connect first mm-hmm. uh, and all those other, other strategies, um, I, I rarely have a conversation with anybody, not just my children, where I don't think about my tone, volume, and cadence. Mm. I'm just conscious of it now because, because yeah, she made me aware of it. Mm-hmm. I'd like to thank Ryan for being on the podcast today as we remember Dr. Karen Purvis. A public memorial service will be held for her on Saturday, April 23rd at 10 a.m. 
at University Baptist Church in Fort Worth. If you're local to the area and would like to honor Dr. Purvis, that would be a good way to do so. Also, although she loved flowers, she loved children infinitely more. And the family asks, in lieu of flowers, please consider becoming a CASA volunteer or make a gift in the memory of Dr. Karen Purvis to the TCU Institute of Child Development. You can mail donations to Texas Christian University, TCU, Box 297-044, Fort Worth, Texas, 76129. Thank you for listening.